We've been doing a series called New Wine. We had Karis Frigi week one. Anybody? Yes. We had my wife last week. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, come on. That's my wife. She did awesome. And now we got my dad. He's going to finish up this series. So excited. I hope you've been blessed. You're about to get more blessed. It just gets better from here. Everybody turn around and say, bye, kids. Bye, kids. Bye, kids. You're up. I'm on. Well, it's good that we've only got half the speakers on. I've been told that I'm best in smaller quantities, so it probably works out really well. Um, I just want to take a moment to pray for us as we enter into this message, just as, Lord, as we sang, as you walk into the room, everything changes. Um, Just overwhelm my heart that that's what you want us to feel all the time. That's what you want us to live in the freedom of your power, of your washing over us, of the fact that you've got everything. And that all of this is so that we get to live in that promise and that hope and that assurance. So I thank you. I thank you for this message this morning that you have been very personally involved in. And I ask you to bless us now as we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in our new series entitled New Wine. And I want to tell you, uh, I felt like God was more personally involved in the development of this message than, than usual. And so I'm going to try and stick really close to what he said um, and not wander from that because I did feel that he had a very personal message for us as a body this morning. And I just ask you to open up your hearts to that um, and to invite that and see if maybe that might be confirmed as it was confirmed for me as I prepared. We're in our new series entitled New Wine. The series is based on Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 5, and the hope of this series is for all of us to realize, and as Kara said, and believe that God is still doing new things. God is always big enough and is always up to and doing new things. And we're invited to believe in that and participate in that and experience that and then testify to it, the new things that God is doing. And that we, without an ounce of arrogance or pride, but with tremendous hope and faith, believe that God is doing a brand new work among us, this body of believers, that God is actually calling us to allow us for him to make us into new wineskins so that we can carry the fullness of the new wine of Jesus to a world that needs to hear about it and experience it so badly. That's why I've entitled this series, New Wine, God's Ask. Because I believe in this message, there is a personal ask for this body that God is asking of us. And we need to listen and see if it's confirmed that it is our ask and decide how will we respond. As Karis and Heather uh, pointed out, Jesus' statement in Luke 5 about new wine comes after a series of challenges and questions from the leaders and the teachers of the time that are continually challenging Jesus on some of the things that he was doing. And Jesus comments on all these challenges and all these objections, and he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 37, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Jesus, at the time, was deconstructing everything that the people believed about what Messiah would look like 
and everything they believed on how God related to human beings. With Jesus came new wine. But to understand the new wine, they thought, to understand the new wine, they would have to receive the new wine and then be recreated ourselves as new wineskins so that we would be capable of carrying that new wine. We are the new wineskins meant to carry this fullness of the new wine of Jesus. That's a big calling. If you weren't here for the first two messages, I really encourage you, go back and listen to Heather and Karis. The content was unbelievable. I've got pages and pages of notes. Even more than the content, they carried the excitement of what we are to feel in our roles and our calls. The joy and the promise and the hope that God wants us to feel in our, call, in our calling to be the wineskins. Today I'll include this series, but the journey for all of us, it's never ending. It's brand new every morning. The fullness of the new wine of Jesus is endless and it's inexhaustible. And in fact, it's beyond our total understanding and it's beyond us being able to totally explain. In fact, if we wait until we fully understand it, if we wait until we can fully explain it, we will miss it altogether. As Andrew encouraged us, this is something that we must just jump in to the stream of what God is doing and be carried by its power and its momentum. That's exactly what Jesus invites us into, the wonder of this journey. And my hope is that all of us will taste of that wonder that is available to us in the new wine and then for us to be the new wineskins to carry it to a needy world. As I was praying through this message and trying to understand the disconnect between what I see sometimes out there in all that Jesus is and the lack sometimes of receptivity of that message and that truth, and I was working through not understanding why people sometimes cannot accept or move into the glory that is available to them in Jesus, I felt God, this was one of his interventions, where he said, Steve, it's the same thing that you experience when you are trying to declare that marriage is the answer to so many needs and fulfillments on earth. And I thought, that sounded a little weird. I didn't get the correlation, but as I dove deeper, I saw it really clearly. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have out there about marriage and the shortfallings of marriage. Talking to men that are absolutely convinced that they cannot be fulfilled inside their marriages, having had multiple affairs, and even in their current marriages, still looking some, for some fulfillment outside of that current, current marriage. I talk to women who look at their husbands as partners in family and children raising, but as their fulfillment to emotional and physical, not possible. Not possible. Even inside Christian marriages, I find the belief that marriage can be okay, maybe even good, but not great. Not that it can fulfill all the God-given desires that we have of security, intimacy, friendship. No. That's not possible. When I speak into any of these situations and I say marriage is the answer, I want to tell you honestly, I get the same look all the time. I get some people laugh at me, literally. Many people pity me. 
almost all doubt my answer. And I felt like God said that it is when you are sharing marriage that I realized, he said, look in their faces. And I realized that when I am saying marriage and then I look in their faces, I realize they don't have a clue what I'm talking about. When I say marriage and all that I understand and all that I have experienced inside of marriage, that is not their concept of marriage. And so it changed the way that I started sharing about marriage. I realized that if I was going to offer marriage as the answer, then I had to hope, pray, and give some insight into what marriage can be. They have to have some vision, some taste of all the truth that the answer marriage holds. Otherwise, it's just a word. And that's why you get the blank stares. And with that revelation, it changed the way that I spoke about marriage. And I believe God's point to me was this. That's the same reality sometimes when you say the answer, Jesus, to people. It's like, now I get it. When people hear the answer, Jesus, they think that we're giving them a simplistic, unrealistic ideal because they have no concept of the fullness of what that answer carries. And if we're going to change things, we, as the new wineskin, have to bring some of that fullness to them so they better understand when we say Jesus what we mean. I don't believe the struggle is only in the secular world. I believe the problem is among professing Christians as well. I have a confession to make. Probably as 10 years as a believer, I got really uncomfortable when people were saying Jesus too often or too quickly. I did. I kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. It's a little over the top, and it's really simplistic. We got to bring Jesus and, and, and. That was my thought process. And I realized in the end that the problem wasn't the answer that I was giving it was my understanding of the fullness of that answer. You see, people are not actually rejecting Jesus. I believe there are very, very few that will actually reject Jesus. They just don't have a concept of what we mean when we offer them Jesus. And I say that with understanding. Do you understand the incredible privilege and opportunity that we have? They're not rejecting the real Jesus. We bring all of that fullness to them. I believe we're not going to be able to understand the receptivity that is out there if they will really meet the fullness of Jesus. How? The answer is in this parable. Jesus is the new wine, and he needs to, for us to be made into new wineskin. Simply, we are being asked by Jesus, drink of the fullness of the new wine, then carry the new wine as new wine skins. I'm going to be honest with you. I wrote down those two points, and I thought, I was disappointed. <laughs> I thought, that's kind of boring. I actually wrestled with it for like 30 minutes, trying to think, there has to be something that rhymes. There has to be something poetic. Isn't it supposed to be three points? I just was like, Lord, after all that buildup, after all that we're going to bring in Jesus, this is what we end up? Drink of the fullness and carry it? And God said to me, after sitting worthlessly for 30 minutes, Steve, and I heard this so clearly, Steve, this may not preach really well, but it's what I need. 
It's what I'm asking. It's the people that I need. I need people that will drink fully of the new wine that I am and carry it to the world for me. It's simple. It's simple. But it's not easy because if it was, everyone would be doing it. And I'm asking you, you, will you be those people? I was overcome with this ask from God. Will we be those people? So I'm sticking to these two points. <laughs> Believing that is the very ask God is putting before us, and I need to say that I believe it's a very personal ask for us as a people and this body. I believe this is a personal invitation this morning, inviting us to be who God has called us to be, and he's asking us, will you be that people for me? I do not believe we are any better than anyone else. I just believe this is the lane that Jesus is asking us to live our lives in. Other churches will have other lanes. This is ours. So first, drink of the fullness of the new wine. Let's spend a little time. Let's spend a little time experiencing. This is not the fullness of the fullness. This is a taste of the fullness, okay? Let's spend a little time drinking in the fullness of the new wine to experience what that can be like. We are going to do that by taking a deep dive into the life of the Apostle John because John gave us a very unique perspective of Jesus. John begins his gospel in verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A verse many of us have heard hundreds of times, Jesus, or John uses the word, word, to describe Jesus. Why? What does it mean? Does it really matter? I would like to take a journey, brief journey, through John's life, the journey that led to him penning these particular words, and I think we will find that this statement was unbelievably powerful and we will have new understanding of all that it means. We'll have new understanding of what the new wine is. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only John uses the word, word, to describe Jesus. John's Gospel is very different than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels. Synoptic really just means they're the same. They tell the same story. All those Gospels tell the same story of Jesus, just with, from different vantages points and for different audiences. But if you look at the story, it's rhythmatically, it's kind of the same theme going through. The three synoptics all tell that same story from the different angles and for different audience. John takes a completely different approach with his gospel. While the other gospels made Jesus' deity really clear, John's gospel makes Jesus' godness his sole point. He wants to make sure that we understand in this gospel, it is written so that we understand, no, Jesus is God. In John's gospel, we get the very heart of Jesus. John's gospel is written after the other three gospels. It is very likely by this time that the other gospels have been circulated, so John has either read them or at least have heard portions of those gospels. He's probably familiar with the other three synoptics at this time. But John looks at it and said that he felt like, he obviously feels like he needs to add something, something that is not fully explained in the other Gospels. 
And so he writes a gospel. John was closer to Jesus than others. And in fact, John accompanied Jesus on every major event that Jesus went on. Only he, Peter, and James got to witness some of the events that Jesus took. The transfiguration, where God, Moses, Elijah confirmed that Jesus is the Son of God. Only John got to see that with Peter and James. The miraculous healing of Peter's mother-in-law, John got to see that. The raising of the little girl who had died and Jesus resurrecting. John got to be in the room when that happened. John is described as the disciple Jesus loved. It's clear John had an incredibly close, special relationship with Jesus. But there's another experience that John had. The Revelation. The book that we call Revelation. Revelation very simply means the unveiling. That's all that it means. But the book of the Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus as he is now. After his resurrection, after his ascension, and you read the book of Revelation, and we see Jesus sitting on the throne of might and power and dominion and ruler over all things. We see him, John saw him in a way that no one else saw Jesus. And God had given him this revelation before he writes his gospel. And if you read Revelations filled with imagery and all this majesty, and then in, in Revelation 1.17, we see John's reaction to this vision, this new vision of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he plays his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Yeah. Now think about this. John had walked with Jesus. John had eaten with Jesus. John had laughed with Jesus. Never had John fallen at his feet, even in the presence of Jesus, but but now that he's been raised on high, this best friend of Jesus sees him and says, the only way I can react is fall at his feet in worship. <sighs> Just power. The point is this. Jesus has been revealed to John in a way that no other human being had ever other experienced him. And at the time of the writing of the gospel, John knows he's approaching the end of his life. Both of the other disciples, both of the other disciples, Peter and James, that saw so many of the things that John had seen are now dead. There's no one left to give testimony. And I think John has this incredible sense of urgency. I've seen the revelation. I've seen things that no other living being has seen. I'm ending my life. And with that, I have to share who this Jesus is. And we have to understand this sense of urgency that he has for sharing this. And with that urgency and excitement and power, he writes these first couple of sentences. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I still kind of go, what? <laughs> That's an awful big buildup, John. And then <laughs> your intro is Jesus is the Word. And we can kind of look and go, okay, cool, uh, but, but if we understand what John was saying at his time and to these people, we will carry the fullness of the new wine in a new way. You see, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal proclaiming Jesus as the Word. 
proclaiming Jesus as the word, said it all. The Greek word that John chose was called logos. Logos was a huge term that had powerful meaning to all the people and the cultures of the time. When John chose the word logos, it was so big, it was so powerful, so packed with meaning that it was impossible to fully define. This was a word that no one could even give full definition to. You see, leading philosophers of the time said that logos would, would be the explanation for the power that controlled the universe. The philosophers of the time used logos to express the thought behind all reason. The Stoics that lived in that time said that the, it is logos that gives meaning to our soul and the world. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, used logos to explain that one, all the unexplainable things of nature. And the religions, they used logos to cover all the manifestations of God. This word, word, was huge in the cultures of the time. When John wrote that Jesus was the logos, he was making a statement that everyone in the known world would have understood what he was saying. And then he takes it one step further. You know this big word that you know that I've just described? He is known to you. The word became flesh in verse 14 and made his dwelling among his people. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from God, the Father, full of grace and truth. John writing this gospel is choosing a word to describe. Jesus Jesus is making the greatest, to describe Jesus, and is making the greatest claim he could have possibly made at the time. And he's using a word that everybody would have understood. Here's the statement he was making. All the power in the universe that you've been debating on where it comes from, it comes from the Logos, Jesus. All the principles of nature you can't define, Jesus defines it all. All the questions of what drives and defines your souls, the answer is Logos, Jesus. You want to know what the manifestations of God are? Look at Jesus. You want to see him? I saw him. I walked with him. I heard him teach, and I have seen him now where he is seated on power. Jesus, the Logos that I am talking about and proclaiming, is the answer to every question you can't answer. That's who Jesus is. This is the fullness of the answer <laughs> that we need to taste of, that Jesus wants us to drink of, and then carry. In Acts, he's the one who frees us from all the things that religion cannot. In Colossians, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Hebrews, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. In 2 Corinthians, he is the yes to every promise that God has ever made. And today, when we answer Jesus, we are saying like John did to this world, everything you can't answer, Jesus. That's what we carry. Amen. That gets me pumped up. Yes. So first, we must drink in the fullness of the new wine. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. If we don't drink in the fullness, we can't carry out what we don't have. So there's just no shortcut. We got to drink it in. Second, we must be the wineskins for the new wine and carry it out to the world. We must realize that the fullness of Jesus that we just took in is not the Jesus that the world is hearing about. Yeah. For the most part, this is not the Jesus that his people are carrying. Yeah. 
at least not as the world sees it. The things I'm about to say are not for us to give any thought to failures of others. If that's where it leads us, I've failed. It is to do one thing, to point out the opportunity that is available for us if we will walk in our lane. See, what the world sees, I got the opportunity to share with a guy, a buddy, a squash buddy, and play uh, for six months, well-read, knew about all the other religions, just incredibly intelligent. Finally, he said, I would like to listen. We go to the squash court. He invites me. He says, let's do it on the court, which was a little bit weird. (laughs) But we ended up sitting down, tying our shoes, and two hours later. Now, listen to what he said, because he got it. Here's what he said to me after sharing with him. He said, then what you're telling me is 80% of the people that proclaim to be Christians aren't really Christians. But he wasn't being mean. This wasn't a judgment. It wasn't cynical. It was his observation. And I said, Mike, why would you say that? I never said that. And he said, because if everything you just said is true, it would change my entire life, and they're not living any differently than I am. And that hurt. He got it. If Jesus is really who he said he was, it changes everything. He wasn't talking about our actions, folks. He's talking about our faith. And by his observation, he saw us run from the same things everybody else runs from. He saw us run to the same things everybody else runs to. He saw us fall in the face of the same fears that everybody else fell to. And he said, I hear the proclamation of this mighty great Jesus, but I don't see it lived. But he wanted to. Real quick end of the story, he gave his life to Jesus, and he's walking powerfully in that gifting. So that's really cool. Second friend. And second friend. Another statement that I thought, sharing with gospel, finally earned the right to share with the gospel. And here was the response. Steve, you're the first one that has talked about Jesus as if he is present and available today. Every Christian I know follows Jesus so they don't go to hell. Now, again, that's his observation. I'm not saying he's right, but his observation is that all I hear about is I follow Jesus, not for the fullness of everything Jesus is, not for everything that we just heard, but just so that I don't go to hell. He's just hearing a very one-dimensional message. Again, my friend's not talking about our actions. He's talking about our faith. And then finally, I want to share an author in New York. I want to go to New York and have lunch with this guy. I read his book. It's called The Transformation of Religion. And in it, he has this premise. And I wrote it. And I read his book. And he has traveled the world. He has studied religions. He knows the scriptures. He knows us. He looks. And his observation was this. Now, please picture this. This is not a guy who is coming against us. He's just trying to say, you don't need to argue anymore. You don't need to feel that you're different. Here's his premise. You're all the same. Whether you follow Jesus or not, you're all the same. Now, we know as Jesus followers, that's the last thing that should be said about us. But he was trying to give us good news. Don't worry about it. You don't have to be offended by everybody's the same. And he gave two reasons. First, that Christians are now more influenced by the culture than they influence the culture themselves. And second one hurt more. They have lost their belief in a miraculous God. Oh, wept at that one. 
not because of all of you, but because of me. Because it was true of me. I was not walking my life like I still believed in a, guilt, in a miraculous God. I was guilty of what Christine Kane once proclaimed. As a Christian, I wanted to see God do a bunch of miracles and spent the rest of my life living in a place where I made sure I didn't have to depend on miracles. That's the way I lived. None of these comments are from what I would call cynics. They're simply observations, wine, that they are presented in the wineskins they see. G.K. Chesterton says, It is not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It is that Christianity has been found difficult and therefore found untried. And we're invited. We can be the people to carry the fullness of the new wine in our new wineskins. And that pumps me up. My experience, folks, out there is that there's only about 10% that want us to fail. There's about 10% that no matter what we do, they're going to come against us. The other 90%, they're just waiting for us. They want to see us live it. They really do. I am convinced that most of them know that what they're living is not sustainable. They just need someone to show them something that is. And I believe we won't believe the fruit that we'll see. How? How do we drink it in? Another simple answer, but not easy. Believe. Just believe. God's looking for people who will just believe. John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcome the world, our faith. I believe that God is calling us to be a people that exhaust the powers of evil. I believe that God is calling for a people that will say no matter what we see, we are going to get up and we are going to believe tomorrow. I believe what people will be drawn to is a people of faith, not a people of results. I don't think they need us to be entirely successful. I think they just need us to keep believing. Everybody wants something to believe in, and we can bring it to them. But we're going to have to walk. It means that we're going to have to walk in faith when jobs don't come through and go to another. We're going to have to walk in belief when diagnoses are horrifying. We're going to have to believe when church buildings shut down that there's another church building waiting for us. We're going to have to believe that prayers that have gone unanswered with fasting and prayer for 10 years, year number 11 will be it. We're going to have to believe more in what Jesus says than what we see. That's what the world wants to see. They don't need us to be entirely successful. They just need us not to give in on our faith. And we get to be that people. This is our history. This is the history of the Christian world. They wore out evil. Evil just looked and said, I can't beat them. I think that's an invite. This song gets its lyrics title from the parable we've just studied. It's called New Wine. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. Where there is new wine, there is new power. There's new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my offerings to carry the new wine today. Make me a vessel, Lord. Make me your offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. All you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. I believe that is the call for this body of believers. (laughs) Will you drink fully of the new wine? And will you carry it as new wineskins? And all we need is incredible faith. And that's not a small ask. That's a huge ask.
I can't believe what we'll see if we'll do that. People are waiting to experience the fullness of Jesus. Let's do this. Let's accept God's invitation to be the people that will walk in faith no matter what we see. Let's watch what Jesus will do if we will walk in faith like he has asked us to. Let's walk in lives. That John, at the end of his life, and I'm done, you guys. <laughs> at the end of his life, John walked out, and with some of his final words, I believe, hold our promise of what our testimony can be. Remembering this, that while John saw them personally, it's not unlost to me that Jesus said to John to declare that we have an even greater presence of Jesus available to us by the power of the Spirit. So we can't look and say, well, yeah, well, John got that. According to what Jesus told John, it's even more present in us. And so John ended his life with some of the last words that he penned, and he said this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and our hands have touched, we declare to you regarding the word of life. And this life, it was made visible to us. We have seen it and we proclaim it to you, this eternal life, which was with God the Father in the beginning as now has come and been available to us. And what we've seen and heard, we share with all of you in order that you can have fellowship with us because our fellowship, it's with God and it's with Jesus, the Son of God. And the reason we share, is so that your joy and our joy may be made complete. Amen. So good. So good. Yes. Let's stand up and uh, let's respond to this word. That is good stuff. We love to be a people who hear the word of God and we love to be a people who respond to the word of God. Did anybody just hear a word from God? Yeah. Me too. And uh, I told my dad yesterday, as we were kind of talking about some of what he was going to talk about today, I, I told him, I, you know, I feel like this last message in this series, it's, it's, a mobilizing, it's a mobilizing message. It's a commissioning day for us. And I just think that um, the, the only proper way for us to respond is just to, like, decide personally, like, am I in for this? You know, God, so God's asking. He, he has a massive offering to us, but he's asking, will you come? Will you let me fill you? And will you be sent out to carry it to the world around you? And I love that my dad said, there, there's, there's no way to fully understand it. So it's, gotta, it's just got to take faith. Sure, you still have questions. You still have questions about God and maybe what happened or didn't happen sometime in your life. You've still got questions about what is this going to mean for me going forward? What about my own weaknesses and my own problems? What about, what about, what about? And God's just saying, will you come? Will you come? Will you come when you can't understand? And will you let me just wash over you? Will you let me fill you? And then will you just take me out, out to the world around you? Will you be my wineskin that I can fill and send to let the world drink of. And that's the offering to every single one of us this morning. And some of the, we haven't done this in a little while, but I think usually we have people over to the side to pray for you, and, and that's great. And if you still want that before you leave, you can. But real simply, right now, I just want to invite you that if you are saying, God, I want to respond to this, like whatever this is, this whole Logos thing, this whole new wine, fill me up, all this stuff, though, even in my own lack of understanding, I, I'm, I'm in. Whatever your next step is, you're just saying, I'm in. I just want to invite you to come to the front as we worship in this last song. I want you to come up right now.
If you're here this morning, you're saying, I want to do this. God, I don't know what it means, but would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And would you send me out so that the world can drink from my life? The world can drink from my weakness. The world can drink from what you fill me with. There's plenty of room for anybody who wants to come as we worship this morning. And I believe that God has promised us this morning that he's been ready for this morning to fill us and mobilize us at this time on this day to send us out into the world that we're walking in, walking into. So I'm just going to pray for us as we sing and worship. And there's not anything necessarily special about being up at the front. It's just the attitude. And just, God, I don't know. All I have is Jesus. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's the answer, Jesus. It's not you. It's not your understanding. It's not what you know or don't know. It's just Jesus. So just open up your heart, maybe your hands. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me this morning. God, we invite you, Jesus, come and touch us, Lord. I pray that you would touch every person in this room. God, fill our hearts. Make us new wineskins, God, that you would pour out new wine in us. Fill us, Holy Spirit, now. Overcome our understanding. Overflow our weaknesses. Fill us up where we don't have answers. We just believe in Jesus. And as we sing just in these final moments together, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would do more in these five minutes than we think you can do in the next five years. Would you do it in us, God? And would you have flow out of us in the mighty name of Jesus? And we just say, come. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.